millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic. And we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now, cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 148th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode was brought to you by patron Andy Landon. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Carlin Hudson. Ah, where's hey. Matt? <laughs> um, and we have Carlin Hudson today because Matt is still in Russia. Wow. And barely reachable. I sent him an Instagram message. He did not respond. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he'll do things like he'll text me. Like, hey, can you upload the episode? And then I'll be like, where should I upload it to? Because I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and he won't answer me for like three days. It's and terrible. then it's like in all Russian letters. He's, uh, he's been turned this into a different man. This is great. Let's trash man. Matt on this podcast. I mean, that is kind of like my dream podcast. <laughs> great. Um, he's anyway. just too nice. Yeah. So today we have Carlin Hudson here, a previous guest, also a talented director and person that lives in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to say. And a uh, writer, maybe? No. Just uh, L.A. gal. She's directed uh, movies, commercials, digital shows. She had a short at South by Southwest. Uh, and she's just uh, an all-around awesome person. If you like this conversation and haven't heard her on the podcast before, I recommend you listening to her past episodes. Today, I thought we could talk about what I have arbitrarily dubbed the four strategies to building a, a directing career trademark and kind of the pros and cons of each strategy and then i thought we could talk about why we've chosen one or the other and what we've learned does that make sense totally but before we get into that riveting listicle (laughs) i came up with uh what have you been working on lately carlin well i just moments ago turned in a treatment for another commercial it's a for credit union out of san diego cool i've heard of it um, I had not heard of it prior to this. No, because... I've heard of San Diego. <laughs> yeah, I have not been to San Diego. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, that explains so much. So I'm psyched to get this job. I could like live in San Diego for a week. Yeah, live. you know it's like I know it's like two away. and a half hours away, but but it looks beautiful based on the images I put in my treatment. Is it a multi day shoot? Like two, maybe. Okay, and so you would sleep there in San Diego. It said director travel on Valentine's Day. Oh. That's cool. I also have a shoot on Valentine's Day. Congrats. Might I recommend having a shoot on Valentine's Me Day? Me too. 
it really, the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really <laughs> solves the conundrum of what to do on Valentine's Day. No shit. Also, this is great. Kara's birthday, my wife, is on February 13th. So, Oh, really? Well, she's going to do like a girl's dinner. Ooh, I want to go. Which sounds a lot more fun than a dinner with me, I think. So cool. And then uh, this is with the new production company you're with, right? Yeah, I signed with this new company called Adolescent, I think like mid-December. Now, so what's the deal with them? They originally were a production company of Children. adolescent <laughs> <laughs> directors. Yeah, you're you're laughing, but that is the real no, thing. No, that's the real thing. I mean, I when they first contacted me to maybe join the roster, I was like, look, I just turned 30. I think I'm too old. And they laughed. <laughs> they were like, no, you're still a millennial. Uh, I do think I'm one of the oldest people right, on the roster. The concept was like, let's literally take like these kids that have grown up with cameras in their hands their whole life and they just like graduated in high school. Yeah. They even have, I think, like some 16-year-olds and stuff. Yeah, they do. They have a bunch of people on their roster and I have joined the kind of like... I'm going to sound egotist, like the top tier of people who, you know, who aren't 16, therefore we have work and we have a reel because, you know, I was lucky to start fairly young directing commercials, but I didn't have much for reel at even 25, you know? Right. Well, I was Um, just thinking about this today that for commercials, very, very different than like film and TV and even web shows, like your background as a director doesn't seem as important as nowhere near as important as your reel. I totally agree. Whereas in like film and TV, they're like, well, this is a story about like, you know, Hispanic kids in New Orleans in the 90s. And we, this guy was a Hispanic kid in New Orleans in the 90s. Let's hire him, you know? Yeah. But in commercials, it's like, oh, no, she's shot a commercial like what we want. That's who we're going to hire. And if you have nothing to show, they'll never hire you. It's kind of, there's a few things that I already love about this company, though. And one of them is this is the first, this is my third directing roster to be on. And it's mainly women and people of color, which is bonkers. You know, it's just not how it normally is. And it's just kind of fun to be put up for jobs where I'm not the only woman, which is great. And I think even this commercial, like they're they're targeting millennials. So we tend to get, we're up for jobs that we're also the audience for. So I feel like I kind of understand what the brand is going for because I, I truly am who they're trying to get to yeah, join. I totally get it. I had never eaten a Keebler cracker before. And, did that and now commercial. you do. You, you eat them. I, I totally non-stop. didn't get it. There's a bowl of them on your table here. Yeah, it's like you put cheese on these things. <laughs> Seems weird. Seems weird. Um, well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and how often are they getting you treatments to write? Um, this is my first of the year, but I already booked a job with them pre-holidays. Oh, cool. The moms, you know about this. I think last time I talked to you about it, you hadn't booked it yet. You were trying to figure out yeah. how to shoot it. Yeah, it was. I think I shot like December twenty second in Richmond, Virginia. Oh, cool! And how did it turn out? It was great. I mean, it was truly a. Uh, it's kind of like the Dove Real Beauty sketches for oh, listeners. Right. It's like emotional sort of experiment about these moms um, telling us their negative thoughts, and then we kind of flipped it on its head and brought in other moms, and they had to say those things out loud and. It garnered these very emotional responses, and it was a really emotional day. I mean, we were kind of crying all day. And it was real. It was real. How did you, and like, was it actors or real people? It was real people. We had a ton of moms submit videos, and um, I picked like my top 12 or something. And they had to come on camera, and you had to give them a prompt? Mm-hmm. What was the prompt? What was the last negative thing you said about yourself today? And they would write them down. And then read them 
to camera. Oh, wow. So and they were intense. When did they, did they write them down on that same day or was it a yeah. few days before? All on the same day. Oh, wow. It was, it turned it, I think it turned out pretty well. I mean, it's, um, it's a real tearjerker. It's done? <laughs> yeah. I just got an email saying I thought it was done and not quite, but close. Okay. Wow. That's cool. That's, yeah. uh, that's a good prompt. I, yeah. I find with like real people and whenever you're trying to kind of get real emotions, mm-hmm. like it's all about that prompt. <laughs> Yeah, I had to fight. Not the client was amazing, but I had to fight pretty hard for that because they sort of had a different vision, and I was insistent on. I just trust me. I know this is going to work. And the first person that went up, we didn't quite. Get, we wanted them. We kind of reassessed and then gave them a, like a, some time to think about it and have a moment alone and write this stuff down. Then we like faked it on camera, them writing it, um, and it worked. It was really cool. Yeah, the guys on set too were like, "Wow, I." Uh, I think I should have gotten my mom a better Christmas present. <laughs> it was really cute. Because, <laughs> uh, you know. That's cool. It was cool. Wow. Um, well, cool. Anything else? You have a script that you just got, have sent yeah, out? Yeah. I'm kind of in the process of sending out a feature film that I am attached to direct that I wrote. They were looking for, like, to attach an agency or an agent and production companies are waiting to read it, so. I mean, when you say you're attached to direct, like... I mean, you wrote the script, right? So yes, but you know how these. Things, but I, it's like uh, we could sell it. Who's maybe. we? Did you write it with someone else? No, I'm saying me and my managers. I guess. Oh, okay. I could sell it, but I don't want to just sell it. I want to direct it. Right. And you think features are still worth making? Yes. <laughs> okay. Oren, <laughs> do you? Uh, well, let me ask you this: What's the last independent film you saw? I see so many independent films. Oh, really? Yeah. So you can't name one? I can name one. Okay, what's the last independent film that I saw? Uh, Mid-90s. I got the screener from Film Independent. Okay, the Jonah Hill movie. Mm-hmm. Didn't okay. love it, but I watched it. Mega star, millionaire mm-hmm. writer, producer, director. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, fe- I mean, I want to make uh, another feature as well, but when I just keep looking at the landscape and looking at what people are watching and even feature filmmakers are watching TV all the time. I watch a lot of movies. I love going to the movies. I mean, I've seen, I see most of the movies that are in theaters that are any good. You must not have kids. (laughs) Busted. What about Um, you? I guess I'm doing other stuff too, but that's enough. So you go ahead. (laughs) Uh, Well, we actually have a listener that uh, has mentioned to Matt that I monopolize these sections. So... I was wondering why you were asking so many questions. Maybe I just won't say what I'm doing. But I'm, I am shooting something uh, the week of Valentine's Day. <laughs> and it's for LA Tourism. And it's going to be, we're going to shoot in LA and San Francisco for the same shoot, which is cool. Awesome. I, I don't know if I've shot like a multi-day commercial in multiple locations before, like multiple cities. So I think that'll be mm. a first for me. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Bucket list item right there. Yeah. Well, I feel like nowadays, like everyone tries, like you get a commercial and it's like supposed to be three days and they're like, oh, it's going to be two days. Actually, can we do like one day and like pickups? Actually, yep. instead of pickups, can we get stock footage? And yep. then actually we hired That'll someone else to do That'll happen on this if I book it. I'm, I'm sure of it. We'll see. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited. Uh, but yeah, got a lot, of, a lot of things in the fire. A lot of irons in the fire. I'm doing uh, something for Disney, I think. It's still negotiating the deal but i think i got it it's like a glorified previously on oh like it's for this big tv movie of theirs but it's not the movie but it's, it's what's like gonna marketing? play right before the movie 
It's going to play like on the Disney Channel, I think. Sweet. Setting up the movie. <laughs> like, because it's a, it's a, the third, the threequel or whatever. It's Can the third movie. Can you say what it is? No. Probably. I probably shouldn't just because I've never worked with this department before. Yeah. So it's a third in a series and this like four minute long. Uh, like a short film. Yeah, basically one of the characters from the movie is going to like explain what happened in the previous two movies. So if you haven't seen them, you'll be ready for this third movie. But Sign done in up. but done in character. Great. Um so, you know, it seems seems cool. My manager is like, it, you know, just a way to get into working with those people. So Great job, Jacob. Um yeah, thanks Jacob. Jacob's at Sundance right now. He has Of course he is. A very cool documentary there. Which one? It's called like The Amazing I know is it Ben Berman's? Is it about a magician? Yep. Yeah. I just met him and I know the producing team. But do you know what the premise of the documentary is? No. Basically, this person, I guess Ben Berman, was doing a documentary on this like magician. And then halfway through the documentary, it turned out that somebody else was doing a documentary. There's a, a different team doing a documentary on the magician, the same magician. And there were kind of these like dueling documentary teams and all this mysterious stuff was happening. And it... I asked Jacob if it was scripted, and he said it wasn't. It was like wow. really this magician hired two different teams to do this documentary, and it just sounds was like it a real... the blind magician. No, that was that's a, a different, different documentary. Okay. Dealt. Yeah, I think this is called the Amazing Jonathan or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. Anyway, cool Sundance. Yeah, it's one of those festivals that's so fun to be at, and Have so you been? not fun to not be at. Um, yeah, I've been a couple times. I mean, yeah, I had something at Slam Dance one year. Got it. And it's at the same time, so it's like. Kind of in Sundance, but not really. Pretty, you can't get in parties. anywhere. But anyway, let's move on. Mm-hmm. But before we move on, I want to remind everyone that we have a Patreon. Uh, check out patreon.com slash justshootapod. It's a way that if you like the podcast, if you feel like you're getting something out of it, you can help us pay our editor. It used to be our editors, but we are down to one editor now. Our editor, Jay, is editing all the episodes now. So we're excited. Thanks, Jay. Um, and put on live events. Okay, so let's get into the topic that I set up and hopefully will not be disappointing. Four different ways to build your directing career. Okay, so number one, I think the most obvious one and the most romantic one that everyone has heard of and dreamt of is, I'll just call it like the Sundance path, which is Mm -hmm. you work your side jobs, you sleep on couches, you do all that stuff, you write your amazing script or short film or whatever, you make it, gets into an amazing festival, you get the money to make the better version of it, uh, it sells for millions of dollars, and then like the studio system picks you up, or some big indie companies come and finance you, and have you pitch TV, and whatever, you get discovered, right? That's one path, uh, which I feel like we both have dabbled in, you know? I oh, mean, you've I had... dabbled. I, I mean, I, that's what I had thought, that's what I thought my path would be, you know? Right. With my feature. Why make a feature if you don't think that's your path, right? You have to be somewhat delusional in thinking that this could be it to get through the hell that is making a feature. Well, I think it's a whole podcast topic on its own, whether making a feature is... You should make a feature because you think that feature should exist in the world, <laughs> or mm-hmm. whether it's a stepping stone for your own personal career. Yeah, we that could be a different... Yeah, like my first movie. Obvi- obviously, you want everything to be a stepping stone, but I feel like if I never directed another movie... My second movie was a TV movie. It does not... It it's was probably seen by more people than anything else I've done, but it does not need to exist. It was just like a fun thing uh-huh. to make. 
my first movie is like I guess my my biggest claim to fame with it is it's a lot of it is in sign language and they teach it like or they screen it in like ASL classes like so all over the country. It does need to be in the world. It has a a it, place. I guess I don't know if it needs to, but it's contributing to culture. And I think people, even though we shot in two thousand nine, ten years ago, um, it's people are still watching it and writing to us about it and influenced by it. And like anytime anyone says like hey, I'm learning sign language or I know some deaf people are in- I'm interested in deaf culture. What movies should I watch? That's like it's cool. always like on if you if there's a list of at least 10 movies, it'll always be on that list. So that's great. Um, I think I get and that might be just me making myself feel better about it. Um, but yeah, but obviously, I think when you first start getting into film and you're making stuff you're trying to make something that makes you pop, that makes you the next Ryan Coogler, right? Mm-hmm. Or the next whatever, Ava DuVernay. Yep. Um, but it's hard. It's hard because, you know, Sundance only lets in a handful of films and maybe one or two of those they haven't been tracking for years right. that actually get in just kind of on merit. Maybe not even that many. I don't I don't know. I'm not saying that the, the films that don't get in don't have merit. Of course they do. But it's such a machine at this point that counting on getting into Sundance is clinically insane. <laughs> right. And also we've had plenty of people on the podcast that have played Sundance and yeah. nothing happened after that. Yeah, that happens too. And you had, I mean, you had like a film at South by right this last yeah. year and it obviously it's good and it's part of your repertoire and it gets you meetings and gets you things, but it doesn't get studios calling you to offer you a feature no, film. I think that, and that, yeah, so that only happens to a few select people. And we know some of those people that that's happened for. And like, in my friend's movie, she's there right now, and her movie just sold to Apple. and uh, But it was her second feature, and, you know, she's suddenly an overnight success that has been working steadily for a decade. But, um, right. you know, she might be plucked now, because it's done really well. Or not, or it could sell, and she could just keep writing TV and whatever, you know? Yeah. Who knows? I remember... You know that show Project Greenlight? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the last season I thought was really fun, but I watched the very first season, which I think was also like 10 years ago or something. Yeah. And it was like a directing duo that won. Oh, and they really? made this movie, The Battle of Shaker Heights, I think it was called. Uh-huh. And I was like, wow, these guys, man. I mean, Steven Spielberg like was involved in this thing and Matt Damon, Ben Out, like all these people, they like found this directing team and they gave them the money and they made this movie and there's a whole show about how they did it all. And then I remember like three years later, I saw they were like making web videos for like the same website I was making web videos yeah. for. And it was yeah. like, yeah, not didn't really count for much. Somebody, somebody in some very stereotypical LA meeting was like, Hollywood, it's a, it's a, it's like a war. It's not about who wins, but who's still left standing when the rebel clears or something like that. And I thought as stupid as that sounds, yeah, it's kind of true. Yeah, well, so there's perseverance, obviously, is important. Um, but also this idea that you're like only as good as your last project, right? Like if you mm. made something great 10 years ago, but your last nine years of work aren't that great, it's also... Like the guy who did um, Welcome to Marween or whatever. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Marwin. Marween. Rob Marshall? <laughs> Not sure why. Oh, Rob Marshall. Is from the director of Forrest, Forrest Gump? Gump? Yeah. <laughs> it's no Forrest Gump, I hear. Yeah, I heard it was kind of odd. Yeah. Like, Anyways, um, so the pros to this path are obvious. Yeah, it's the biggest prize basically you can get and the fastest yeah. way to it also. Yeah, totally. 
Um, and it's the story that we most hear about, right? Yeah, it's true. But yes, but I feel like if you really dig into those people who seem to be the Sundance overnight successes, right? they also made features that before the, some of them, not all of them, they've also made things you didn't see. They've also, you know, it's sometimes a little more complicated than that may seem. I forget who told me this, but someone told me that they used to work for Barry Jenkins when he was the post supervisor at some like trailer mm-hmm. house or something, you know, like, wow. So he had made a feature medicine for melancholy, yeah, right? Premiered at South by. And then he was just doing odd jobs in film, you know, even I though he did also well. directed commercials during that time, maybe, but he might have not done always that enough. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, and the, I think we covered the cons, right? Of, <laughs> of this. Sundance is cold. Uh, that's a con. Well, the con is you don't make any money and you're just oh. begging people to finance your dreams, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you might manage to convince some rich person to give you a bunch of money and then, you know, they don't you get their money back or something. But yeah. it's like how many projects can you make before you have to start making money, right? Mm-hmm. That's why most of the people, a lot of the people you hear about are like in their 20s that hit big or they had some sort of like financial backing ahead of time that didn't require yes. them to work. So on the note of making money, the next kind of pathway that I see a lot of people taking, and I think the one that I'm very deeply in now and you are kind of at least have entered in, yeah, <laughs> is like the freelance method of mm-hmm. being a director. You know, you meet people, you meet producers, you sign with a production company, you pitch stuff, and you're basically trying to get jobs and the more jobs you get the easier it gets hopefully and the bigger your network is the easier it is and the better your reel is the easier it is but really you are waiting for people to hire you to give you money to be a director Mm -hmm. Um, so the pros are obviously that you get to kind of keep advancing there's like nothing keeping you down yeah you can work with a ton of different people yeah you're also getting in your 10,000 hours don't you think well, let's save 10,000 hours for number three, because I really? think that's where you really get your 10,000 hours. Yeah. I actually think one of the cons of this is like, at least for me, I'm probably directing on average like two days a month, maybe. That's pretty, And that's pretty good. Yeah. And that's including if I have like a month where I direct four days and a month where I direct zero days, you know. Right. Probably averaging. So like, yeah, maybe even less, maybe like 20 days a year of being on set with a budget, with yeah. a team, with all that stuff. Yeah, maybe even let, I don't know. That, yeah, it even depends. That like last year, I did more series stuff, and I don't I don't know what this year holds. So, right. So if you get a series, yeah, and you're shooting for like ten days or fifteen days, 20, yeah, yeah, that changes that whole ratio, and mm-hmm. that is when you're getting a lot of time. But if you're doing commercials or music videos or corporate videos or shorts, or whatever, yeah, you're just not getting as much set time. No, it get yeah, and it gets. Um, I miss I miss being on set in these times. Yeah. Because you're constantly pitching on things and you're just like, let me do what I love and I'm good at, please, you know. Right. And that's why it's good. I mean, I think a lot of us have it. I know you and I definitely have time. We were on set not as directors uh, for many days, right? You produced a ton. Yeah, I started off producing. I worked like grip and lighting department. Uh, So I think we've we've had our time on set, Mm -hmm. but uh, time directing, you're getting paid a lot more per directing day doing this kind of gigging but uh you're it's they're just fewer and far between and there's no guarantees like one company can give you 
you know, three months worth of work one year and the next year they don't exist anymore. They found someone else. It happens to me all the time. It's like just when I think I found a client or a company or someone that's going to be like my base level for that year, the next year it changes. Yeah. Or sometimes it lasts for two years. Right. But inevitably every company will either have like a regime change mm-hmm. or oh yeah they'll want fresh faces because yeah that's what like what is so fun and challenging about our work is that freshness is really rewarded yep so hiring the same person over and over i mean and we're guilty of it too you're like oh, i'd love to try a new dp you know i love my dp but it would be great to try yeah. a new dp yeah. or production designer or actors or whatever it is yeah I remember these guys, Mitch and Phil, they've been on the podcast. They directed a bunch of movies. They probably did like 10 horror films and they would keep casting the same people over and over. And I would be like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, why aren't you taking new people? And they were like, well, because these are great actors and they're our friends. And we know they'll like do anything for us. The guy, uh, Andrew Brzezowski, the independent director whose computer chess film Mm -hmm. I produced or whatever. um, He's one of the most loyal dudes I've ever seen. And he will hire the same people not actors necessarily but crew and stuff and it's it's amazing it's it's he's it's a beautiful thing to watch but i also feel like well you don't have to be beholden to that way either if you don't want to be i do tend to work with the same dps until they're not available right and that's like the weird thing that's right the gateway like, drug of working yeah. with new people is when someone's not available and then you find someone else that you love too and you're yeah. like ah. and i know i've been on the receiving end of that like a company that's hired me over and over and over and I'm not available and then they hire someone new and they're great too and then they just keep hiring them. Yep. So anyway, that's... What are the pros? We talked about the pros. The pros? <laughs> yeah, the pros are your schedule is super flexible. You can do like that's what true. Matt did and go to Russia for three weeks. Like that's really hard to do in any other kind of version of this directing path. That is true and that's I think why I keep on it because I... I, I just, I value my freedom more than I value financial security, I guess. As crazy as that sounds to say out loud. I've been offered full-time jobs at places, and I've, I've always said no. Right. And this also, this second strategy of the freelance also lets you kind of keep a foot in the waters of the first strategy. Yes. Of like, I'm going to write my movie on the side. I'm going to shoot my things when I get a chance. And I'm going to use the money I make from commercials or whatever this web show to finance my short film yeah that will or to finance like two weeks in a cabin to write your next feature or, or whatever it is right but so you said you've been offered full-time jobs before mm-hmm. and i think that is uh what i would consider the third strategy it's it's kind of a harder strategy to like have because you have to find that full-time job but a full-time directing job yeah. which is pretty rare these days i think or do you think it's more common? I think it's pretty common. Um, I mean, Matt has had multiple full-time directing jobs since we started this podcast. Uh, you know, he did that show for Facebook Watch for a few months. He did Ellen for a few contract. months. It's contract, but in any way that any full-time job in Hollywood is. If you get any show. Oh, I guess I, was, right? I thought you were thinking, and maybe this is still in the same category, but like... Matt Pollock and these people who were the in-house directors at a production, like Funny or College Humor, right? Wasn't yeah. that him? Yeah. Okay. So that's like another version of it. When I, I was at Disney for four years also, it's like the in-house director. And then I worked, when I did wow. all those Quiznos ads, it's not like I won like 15 Quiznos spots in a row. Um, 
I was working in-house for the agency that was in charge of the Quiznos account. Oh, yeah. There are agency directors. I forgot about that. Yeah. So a lot of, I think that's something that's become real common. Uh And I've even worked with a bunch of agency producers that are like, oh, yeah, on some jobs I direct also. (laughs) It's hard to get those jobs, but it's easier than you think because you could get that job from a good relationship more than from your real because it's more, you need to be more of like a generalist, like you need to direct a commercial and this web video and this explainer video and this corporate video. And we might need you to produce this thing too and do like an unscripted series here. I guess right? I'm such an optimist that I think any moment could be my moment to be called to direct TV or to direct a movie or whatever. <laughs> and I'm terrified of having not to, being available, like not being not able to being go available. to a meeting. Right. Yeah. But then again, I'm thinking now that I say that out loud, I'm like, well, just quit your other job and switch and do TV. Right. But what if, um, your other job is like, okay, well, this week we need you to fly to San Francisco to film this woman talking about her book or whatever, and it's something that you're not that interested in. And in the meantime, your manager will be like, oh, I got three meetings set up for you. Your your obligation is to your full-time employer. I actually, yeah. I lost, my first manager dropped me when I started working at Disney because she said, well, what's the point? I can't do anything with you now. And you're like, well, how am I supposed to sustain myself? Oh, yeah. Financially. Yeah, you don't get me any work. So <laughs> I hope you told her that. Well, you don't get me any work. She said, a lot of managers don't get their people work. It's a myth. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. I think, so. I, but I do think earlier on, in your, earlier on in your career, it's a great path. Yeah, I wish I would have done that. I, I also was in Austin. There was not as many of those positions. Right. Well, you could if you were worked at Rooster Teeth. I know Andy Young, you know, one of our listeners and friends, like had worked a ton for them, and they even offered him directing, work, like in-house directing work. Oh, really? And he turned it down because he, I think, wanted to move out here and right. do, work on things outside of their universe of tonality. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specific. But you do get a ton of, of practice. When I was yeah. at Disney, I mean, we were we shot every single week. And we had cool. budgets and we had, we're doing scripted and narrative stuff. But was it overwhelming in terms of, was the schedule manageable or were you, were you exhausted? I mean, it was awesome. It was like the most fun ever because the, huh. the, everyone was full time. The DP, the production designer, right. the art team, the writing team. It was like being on a TV show for like three years straight. But that sounds exhausting to me. I'm like, no, no thanks. You have weekends off, you have holidays off, you get health insurance, you get benefits, what? you get vacation. You go to Disneyland on wow. for the holiday party. You get, you know, um, raises every year. Like, oh it's like God. corporate life. I like, you're speaking Chinese. I have no <laughs> idea what that stuff is like. Yeah. I've never had a full-time but the, job yeah. Well, the like problem that. with all those things, and I think a lot of what Matt's done and a lot of what I've done is the more fun and rewarding and artistic the work is, the less chance it's actually making cover, like making money back. And that's yeah. what happened at Disney. We were making these like awesome shows. I mean, our first show was like this high school comedy with Allison Brie and uh, Gabrielle Carteris from cool. 902. Like all these, this really cool cast. And they would come and we'd shoot with them every week. And we had a, we built, a, we had a stage that we built our sets on. And we had like a, an amazing DP and production designer and writing team and or like the woman that was like in charge of all the writers was like a writer on 90210 and Sex in the City. And it was just really cool. But ultimately, I think I was kind of part of the downfall. But like one of the other writers and I like started making these like one off videos, just the two of us, like yeah. for Father's Day and for this, like vlogs and just silly little things. And we would put them on YouTube and they got like 
a hundred times more views than our scripted high-budget episodes because huh. they were all making fun of Harry Potter and Twilight. And oh, I remember like that. those videos, yeah. Uh-huh. And so it kind of became, at some point, we were making stuff that none of us were excited to make. So why did you leave? Because then I made my movie and I was realized like, oh, this can be an art. This can be so much more fulfilling than meaningful. <laughs> and then, of course, I like went and did commercials. <laughs> I know. So, so well. yeah, but that's, a, that's another strategy. And, and as rare as it sounds, like we get a lot of emails to the podcast that are like, hey, I'm getting offered this full-time directing gig at this company, uh, you know, that makes like local commercials or that makes all the corporate videos for Google and eBay or something. Should I take I this? get offered those jobs. Yeah, I think, and it's more common outside of LA where yeah, there's like so. huh. the, you know, fewer video people. Like when I was a staff writer at this digital company, Brat, I would only sign a two-week contract and then they kept renewing my two-week contract. That's like how commitment phobic I am. <laughs> oh, and that was because you only wanted to commit to, for two weeks. Uh, yeah, I was like, that's the that's the the max that I would do. They were like a month, and I was like, no. I was like, how about a week? And they said, it's going to be two weeks. <laughs> two weeks, okay, but can I take the last five days off? Yeah, and I was like, but I could still have meetings and stuff. And they were like, oh, well. And I was like, okay, I'll just like <laughs> take the big meetings that I have to take. Yeah, well, when you work full-time, when I worked at Disney, if I had an idea, it, they owned it. <laughs> oh, God. It's like, create the, it's, I think, is there a term, golden handcuffs? Where it's oh, like that is a term. They're giving you all this amazing stuff, but you're like locked in, you know? Yeah. So. That's a big problem in like Silicon Valley. Yeah, like IP and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, did you come up with this idea on this laptop that we owned? It's ours. Yeah. Actually, I'll do a little name dropping if you don't mind. <laughs> but one of the dads of in my preschool. <laughs> Go uh, on. In my daughter's preschool. He uh, worked at Break Media and uh-huh. he started a Twitter feed, I think, or or a blog or something. It might have been pre-Twitter called Shit My Dad Says. Oh, I know that one. He ended up getting a deal to, I think he write, wrote a book, yeah. made a book, and then it turned into a TV show with William Shatner. And Break Media is like, hey, you wrote that while you were working for us. <gasps> and he was like, yeah, but I did it like on the weekends. I had nothing to do with you. I they're like, yeah, but you, we hired you as like a creative writer, content creator. Oh, like my God. And they had a big like legal dispute. Holy so, shit. Anyhow, that, I That's mean, that con. stuff happens all the time. Yeah. It's a big con. I think it's also like, <laughs> this is going to sound, <laughs> I feel like I'm being very negative this episode, which I don't like. But if you're also at a place where you're like kind of have given up on strategy one, have given up on like the Sundance <laughs> movie and all that stuff and just want to <laughs> support your family. Yeah. Which is common. Which and, is valid. And you can get this kind of full-time directing job, then uh, I, I think it's, Why not? it's worth it too sometimes. When you're, sorry, instead of saying giving up, when you're tired of like the hustle, of like the competing for jobs every single day, like the freelance world, where yeah. you can work for someone for a year and then the week after that they decide they never want to hire you again. Um, <laughs> you know, so I think, I think that's the other uh, Oh, advantage. for sure. It's such a, we have such an unstable business and lifestyle that it seems alluring to have a full-time job doing what we love. Sounds kind of dreamy in some ways. And there's definitely that grass is always greener. Like when you're like hustling for jobs, it seems so nice to just wake up and go to an office and get paid for drinking coffee and talking to people about like, you know, politics or whatever. 
and then someone telling yeah. you, hey, can you go write that script? And then we got to shoot tomorrow. Like that seems so cushy, you know? Seems so cushy. But when you're doing that and you're like, oh, Carlin's just her short went to South by and she's traveling here and she just shot something in, in Virginia. Then that also and sounds like She looks cool. at her bank account and weeps every <laughs> night. No, <I'm> just <laughs> depending yeah. on the month. Some, some days it's joyful. Some days not. Yeah. You know. um, well, at least, at least you have consistency. <laughs> <laughs> every night you're doing that. That's um, right. I look at my bank account every night and determines my mood for the rest of the... No, you can't do that, actually. That's like crazy making to do that. What, to look at your bank account every day? Yeah, as a freelancer, it's just like too stressful. I feel yeah. like a lot of my therapy sessions is just talking through money anxiety. Yeah. No, it is. There's, there is a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And it's like you totally have to be good at saving money if that's You have job. to be good at saving money. You have to squirrel away everything you can for the dark days. Yep. Reminds me of a good biblical story. <laughs> Go on. About Joseph and his Technicolor <laughs> dream coat. I, don't, I haven't heard of it. Okay, number four. So number four. Uh, so the final way, which is something I just thought of today because I had lunch with someone who has taken this path, Bill Kiley. He is the owner of Window Seat, uh, mm-hmm. the production company made famous by their hat, which I wear <laughs> very often. So you single-handedly, by wearing their hat, have, has made you've made them famous. Well, every time we take a selfie for the podcast and post it, I'm, a lot of times I'm wearing that hat, and it says window seat, and some people know about it. And now they've gone public. It's a real... Yeah, something like that. Great. <laughs> um, no, Can but you so, wear a hat with my name on it? Sure. Great. Uh, but so, well, that is a good idea, though. <laughs> Directed by Orin.com, the hat. Ooh. Uh, yeah. I'll look into that. But so what he has is his own production company. And that's like our friend Blake has that. Uh, a lot of people we know uh, start mm-hmm. their own production company, get clients, uh, and not necessarily always directing. Sometimes they're editing. Sometimes they're doing videography. Sometimes they're just writing or pitching creative or doing whatever. And they're building a team. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty much building their own business, like flow of business and clients. Right. And as the owners of that company, they are, can pitch themselves to direct things or they can bring other directors if they need to. That, I'll, I'm just going to be honest. This path is the least attractive to me. I think it's the hardest. But it, to me, I think it's 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 the best compromise on all three of the other things that you are interested in. It seems so stressful. Yes, it's crazy stressful. But you get. Here, I'm uh, pitching you on, on it. It's, <laughs> it's not gonna with the disclaimer that I have chosen not, like I feel like I've had a few opportunities to be part of that path and mm-hmm. I've chosen not to. But the pros are really, up. first of all, the upside can be big. You can be making money even when you're not directing. You know, if you build Ooh, enough that's a good one. clients and you're like, hey, I'm going to Spain, but let's bring Carlin in to direct this and let's bring Andy in to edit this. And well, you know, basically mm-hmm. I'll still get, get the cut. markup. Yeah. The other pro is you get to direct the best jobs that come into the company, right? And the jobs that it's like, hey, can you go videotape my son's bar mitzvah? Um, you hand that off to someone else, right? Number the bar mitzvah th- clientele. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, it's got like longevity. You're, you're building equity in a brand. Like you don't, you're not starting from scratch with every new client like we are as freelancers. Right. Yeah. Uh, I feel like but there was a I'm going to play devil's thing. advocate. Yes to all of that. However, I think that that's for someone who's mainly interested in commercials. I don't. I don't think you so. You don't think so? 
No, I mean, look at like J.J. Abrams and his company, Bad Robot, right? Yeah, but J.J. was like a big director, writer first. And then like I, I, I would like to do that when I'm more established as a narrative. But don't think of director. J.J. at that company. Think of all the other people at that company. No, or, but or, like some people that we know who's who've taken this path who aren't right. famous. Like Blake. Right. It's more of a commercial path. But they do. They've done a, a few TV shows. They've done some digital series. They did a YouTube Red show. They did like four or five Go 90 shows. Hmm. Um, I think Blake has chosen for himself not to direct those longer form things because he oh. would rather have a creative say in more projects. And he kind of gives his stamp of approval on all the creative decisions, whether he's directing or not. Yeah. Uh, but they are doing that and they've done... Yeah, but is he like making stuff that he's passionate about on the side? Like that stuff is still jobs that... He's not doing it on the side, but he's taking jobs maybe at a loss because he loves the content or he loves the, hey, we're going to have Harrison Ford in this, so you're going to make 10 bucks, but you're going to have a piece with Harrison Ford in mm. it, you know? Um, so he is... Like if you look at the Sawhorse reel... It's amazing, right? And Blake hasn't directed everything, but he can kind of claim credit for everything. Right. Um, and by the way, there's two other partners of the company, Eben and Nick, too. Um, but Blake <laughs> Blake is the direct, the one that directs the most out of the three of them, and that's why right. we're saying his name. I think that, yeah, there's a big upside, but there's a, it's also a giant gamble. Like I think for right. the first few years you do that, you're losing money, and you're buying cameras because you realize, like, well, we have a shoot like three days a week, so why are we renting cameras? And then you're buying, you're building a stage, and you're buying, and you're signing longer term contracts, and it's like you are more stuck at the production company than yeah. you are at a, when you're an employee of someone else. But you also have that flexibility where you can say, mm-hmm. hey, I own this place, so I'm going to shut it down for the summer because I'm going on vacation with my family. I feel like you just talked yourself into doing this path again. Well, I'm still like holding on to number to path one. Yeah, me, I mean, me too. <laughs> a little bit, um, you know, but I've definitely thought about the other paths you know paths like if I got a full-time job to be an in-house director next week and it was like content that I was like kind of excited about I think I would consider Consider it it. yeah Mm -hmm. because it also like when you're kind of bouncing between the first two paths the like artist Sundance path and the freelance gigging path Mm -hmm. which is what we're doing you're working so hard to get the next job that it's hard to like kind of have the to let the anxiety go in a way where you can just go and be creative, you know? That's true. And inspired. And and in the other two paths, like if you're working for a corporation or you own your own company, well, owning your own company is hard too, but if you work for a corporation, you can, nights and weekends are yours. You can say every weekend I'm going to write or I'm going to go to a museum. I'm not going to worry about what we're shooting next week until Monday. I'm not going to answer emails. Like I'm off the clock. If you can do that, I think that takes a lot of discipline. But it's possible. It does. But no one will get mad at you that you, you know, went away for the weekend in the way that like if you have a treatment due on Monday and you got the job on Friday. There's... Ugh, that's what happened this week. And the treatment at end of day Friday was like a go. And I had to turn it in Sunday night. And yeah. I was like, damn it. And in the freelance world, you're always at somebody else's disposal. Like, yeah, you even I mean, you and I have had this a million times where someone's like, are you available the second week of February, and you're like, yes. And then the next day, someone's like, are you available the second week of February? And you're like, maybe. Yeah, but you just say yes, usually? Yeah. I don't know. And then if you happen to get both the jobs, which 
Usually you don't, but let's say you do. It's not happened to me yet. I'm, this is my year. <laughs> they <laughs> both lay claim to your time. And if Shit, you say, yeah. I have to do this thing for this other job, they're like, well, that's not my problem. I'm paying you to be on this job. Yeah. I actually worked with a producer that um, we were like talking to our costume designer and we're like, hey, are you going to get the costumes today? And she was like, well, I'm on this other job right now, but um, I'll get them tomorrow morning. And the producer never hired her again. She was like, that Shit. is not my problem that you are on another job. Like you said, you were supposed to pick these things up today and I'm paying you. So, you know, lie to me or something. Tell me you're sick, (laughs) but don't tell me you're working on somebody else's project when I'm paying you. That was like, that's interesting. That was that producer's attitude. I don't have that attitude because I'm like a little more sympathetic to the freelancer. Yeah, totally. But anyway, I feel like I just talked a ton. No, it's just funny talking about this. I, I'm just, it's reinforced why I'm still on my path. And I think, to be honest, the reason I can be on the path that I'm on is because I don't have kids, I don't have a house, I keep my bills low, and I, not that you, not that, not this isn't about you, but I'm just, um, if you you choose that that path, then you have to be practical money-wise, and that means that you are going to make sacrifices in other ways. Like, all these paths have different sacrifices attached to them. But right now, I'm still, I'm happy doing that and holding out because I'm, you know, putting off essentially having a family and that stuff. Yeah, definitely the biggest reward. I mean, it's it's like just the classic example of risk versus reward. The biggest risk and the basic, biggest reward is option one, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Because I feel like, <laughs> maybe this is what I tell my parents to justify it. But I'm like, the ceiling, the, there's no pay ceiling really in this path. Like I could, sure, I don't make much now, but I could make tons. I could create the next Friends. I could direct Star Wars. You know, it's like, you're right. The, the reward is right. ex- exponentially higher. And in the other paths, you can get bigger rewards. Like you, we could get a Super Bowl commercial next year, you know, yeah. and then get off of that, pitch a TV show off of it if we That's own true. the creative, which we probably won't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you own your own production company, you could, you know, Blake can start directing some of these series they get and he, that can launch him into like a true TV show and then a yeah, USA show and then an NBC show. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, on the same, by the same scale, he also has to worry about like, where did somebody put the tripod? Because right, that tripod like, costs $2,000 and it's missing from the storage room. And how do I room. pay these eight full-time employees or whatever? Yeah. Which but, I don't have to do that. That is, yeah, that is a really stressful part of it. Having other people, being responsible for other people, clearly I have a theme here. Um, That is something (laughs) I'm not prepared to do at this moment. Right. And I think, obviously, all these categories are fluid. Do you feel like I've missed anything? No. I mean, the only one we didn't really talk about is the going into a different profession like Eric or someone who's a full-time editor. I guess that's kind of a freelance thing, but like being a full-time editor, being a full-time cinematographer, whatever, and doing that as your main thing and using that to angle for directing Yeah, moving jobs. sideways. Like Boots Riley, I think, is like a great example, right? Is he? I think his first movie is Thank You for... Yeah, or, but was he... Sorry to bother What did he do before that? He's a musician, right? Yeah, but that's not that good of an example. Why? <laughs> because was he like... I'm thinking an example is like someone... Say I was a staff writer on Riverdale for the first two seasons, and I want to come back for season three, but my but the deal is I want an episode, or I'm not going to be a staff writer. You want to direct an episode? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Like, I'm a DP on legions of 
tomorrow. I don't know what that show is called. Right. DC's <laughs> not a show. Legends of Tomorrow. Le- Legends of Tomorrow. But I want to direct, and so I'm the DP, and I'm going to do a great job, and I'm going to make myself indispensable to you, but next season I get an episode. That's another kind of, I guess that's TV specific, perhaps. It's creating leverage against the people that hire directors. That's what I did. We've talked about how how I got my first commercial directing job. I, I was a producer at this company, and I told them if they wanted me to keep producing, which they really needed me at that point, and I made sure to bring it up when they'd be fucked if I left. Right. And I said, I want to direct. And they had to say yes. They didn't have to. It was, it, I was nervous going into that meeting thinking, like, what am I doing? But I, I knew that there was a good shot they would say yes. Well, cool. Well, listeners, if you feel like we missed any or have any thoughts on uh, this theory of the four different ways to have a directing career, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at justshootapod at gmail.com. And now I think we should get into our final segment do you know what it is, Carlin? Yes, and I did not come prepared. Unpaid endorsements. Okay, so I'm going to give away a giant trade secret. Wow. Uh, because we spoke about Blake so much in this episode, it's something I learned from him. And it is when you're editing a trailer or a short comedy piece, or it could even be like a long form comedy thing, but when you have music playing and you want to make a point you want to really highlight a line of dialogue or something uh, for to be a punchline it's really common in trailers because in trailers there's a lot of times like a track of music and then a really pivotal line something really funny or dramatic or scary and then it'll shift and transition into a new piece of music so when the music stops right before that line they call it a stop down are you familiar with that term no i'm not so yeah it's like a trailer term but a stop down. Yeah. You, they might, you know, use it this in comedy, too. This is your recommendation? Too. Well, my recommendation is how to do the perfect stop down every time. And it's a combination of three sound effects that uh, you can probably find <laughs> online if you Google. You, but you can find your, your own version of them. But the, the most important one is called FX Swish Hit. Like, wow. This uh, is some nerdy stuff. This is great. Yeah. It's real, real technical. So if you take that sound effect and you put like the loudest part of it, like the way it sounds, right? Like it sounds so cheesy. Like a, so you you have a rise, right? Which is like anything that just kind of starts like quiet and builds up to like a crescendo. You have a rise go right up to like the loudest part of the FX swish hit. And after that, you put like a cymbal crash, right? And it can be like a low symbol or a golden this symbol. This is pre-dialogue that you want to pop? Yeah. So you have like your, your music playing and then you put, you stack these three sound effects okay. on top of like a major beat in the music and then you cut the music out completely. Then you say like, yeah. that's my dog, yeah. bitch. Hey, there's some <laughs> toilet paper on your shoe. Yeah. And this then classic And one. then you kick into like your next track. So it's called the stop down. Look, I'm sure if you just Google stop down, You'll see a lot of great examples of it. I'm sure a lot of listeners know what it is, but um, those that's the that concoction of those three sound effects is like the perfect stop down, and it works for comedy, it works for drama, it works for everything to let you get out of a song and start a new song, and also punctuate uh, huh. something in your edit. And uh, I was just texting Blake about it today because I was like, oh, I have like three FX swish hits in my trailer that I'm working on, 
is that too many? And he was like, no, like there's, you can't have too many FX switches. And Blake, by the way, used to work at a trailer editing house, like a big trailer. Oh, really? Um, And he said it helps create like a cadence, like some consistency across your trailer if you are using the same sound effects for, uh, for this, like these big moments. Cool. So anyway, that's my very technical, very specific endorsement, the stop down. Great. Gosh, this is a tough one for me. Oh, I have something for those of you who enjoy cooking. Uh, this is not that revolutionary of a recommendation because it's very popular, but is it salt, a zoodler? fat, no, but salt, fat, acid, heat. It's a Netflix mean, show. It's a Netflix show, but it's also a book. Oh. And um, she has she, her her show's great. It's four part series, but the her book is like half cookbook, half the theory behind why certain kinds of salts work and what kind of fat to use. And it's kind of like gets you to be able to cook without a recipe and always make delicious food. And if you like to cook and have some knowledge, this book is amazing. Like like I've, I've been obsessed with roasting chickens a bunch of different types of ways and I'll salt them like 48 hours in advance. And um, if you're into cooking food, then this book is for you. That sounds awesome. Salt, fat, acid, heat. Ooh, I will check it out. Um, I've studied that trailer a lot, actually, because I was really? working on something similar. Is it a good trailer? It's a really good trailer. Have cool. you seen it? I don't know. I've seen the series. I don't remember the trailer. Cool. Well, if uh, people want to find out more about what's going on with you, are you on the social medias? That's another thing I'm trying to do less of. But I do regrettably check Instagram. Carlin Hudson. Is C-A-R-L-Y-N. My, yeah, it's my handle. And uh, I guess I'm on Twitter now and again. And what's your website? CarlinHudson.com. Oh, cool. And at Carlin Hudson on Twitter? No, some there's one other woman named Carlin uh. Hudson, and she got Twitter. I get most things, but she got Twitter. Okay, so what are you on Twitter? Hey, Carlin. Hey, Carlin. That's yeah. even better. Thanks. Well, if you want to find out more about this episode, the things we talked about, you can go to our website, JustShootItPod.com. We are also on all social media at JustShootItPod. And I am at Smitey Pileg. Matt, who is in Russia, is at Mr. Matt Inlow. Remember when I tagged at Orin? <laughs> I tagged you on something and I put at Orin and you were like, there's no way I could have gotten. At Orin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Four-letter Twitter <laughs> handle? Impossible. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you have any comments or questions, email us. Just shoot a pod at gmail.com. Please leave us an iTunes review and rating. It really helps people find the show. This episode was produced by Madeline Rosewatt. It was edited by Jay McAuliffe, and our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.